6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Hebrews with a session entitled, An Addendum. He says, I am the door. Anyone that comes through but by me is a thief and a robber. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. And interceding for us in Hebrews 7.25. And of course, our sin bearer and our propitiation for our sins is, is every detail. And the entire project sits on silver sockets. It rests on his blood. Silver being the symbol for blood. We go on and on. Anyway... The second temple, Herod's temple, is not the one we're seeing in Ezekiel. The one we have in Ezekiel, again, has the same, you know, styling. No, excuse me, excuse me, this, uh, this is uh, uh, Solomon's temple. You have not one table of showbread, you've got ten of them. Not one lampstand, you've got ten. And you have the, the, the expansion of, the, of the, uh, uh, the tabernacle when you get to the, the physical temple itself. And there's a molten sea and a holocaust altar and so forth. Okay. Um, the, you have an inner court and outer court. There are a couple of things in the temple that were not in the tabernacle. There's a place called the porch. And there's two pillars one, that have names, Yachin and Boaz. If you want to get into all of this and understand its spiritual significance, I encourage you to get my wife's book. Books, I should say, because the same model is exemplified in the way of agape and the be transformed. And it also, it's prominent in her latest book, King, The Kingdom, the Power, and the Glory. She'll talk about the personal storage for the priests and how that's where the priests stored those things that, the unmentionables, their own little idols. And the, let's talk about Ezekiel's temple. We again recognize the same basic architecture. I'm turning it on the side because it'll be easier to talk about. I've now shifted east to the right side of the diagram. But this is pretty much the same as we're familiar with the previous one. And, uh, but we're going to add some things here. We're going to add chambers for singers. And as this thing grows, we're going to add priest chambers on either side. And uh, priest's kitchens. This is not symbolic. This is a real place. And uh, we have inner gates. And we have chambers of the outer court. And we have people's kitchens, and we have outer gates. And I'm very intrigued with these outer gates because the word there for outer, outermost, in Ezekiel 40, 20, for example, is the same word that occurs in Matthew 8, 12, and also in those two kingdom parables where it speaks of the darkness that's outside. It is the view of some, and I'm inclined that way myself, to regard the casting the outer darkness, people who are saved, they're in heaven, but they are not qualified to attend the wedding supper. And so they're excluded from the central festivities at the moment. And uh, 
That's uh, not a view held by everyone, but it is the view held by many of the modern exegetes that I respect. The exegesis that originally got behind this was G.H. Ladd, but uh, Charles Stanley, Erwin Lutzer, head of Moody, and others have, uh, have the same view. Most of us have a tough time. I first encountered this view uh, several years ago in, in the writings of uh, Joseph Dillon. And uh, 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 Dillo, I mean, Joseph, Dillo, Joseph, Joseph C. Dillo. Dillo uh, illuminated so many of these things I thought was terrific, but I couldn't go quite this far. But since then, I'm, I'm convinced that uh, he's right. In any case, we have a holy district here that may surprise you. There's Jerusalem, but the temple is not in Jerusalem. It's almost 50 miles to the north. If you look at the holy district, it's 50 miles by 50 miles. And we have it divided with the living quarters for the sons of Zadok, up there near the temple, of course, sons of Levi, and then food-growing areas on both sides of Jerusalem, apparently. And then there's a portion for the prince. Who's the prince? Is that David? Who knows? We'll see. And I should mention that many good scholars have slightly different ways of rendering what they, 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 what they infer from the text itself. This is just one rendering to highlight some of the issues. Clearly the topology of the uh, uh, ground will be very different because it will be highly different. There, there's going to be a river coming out of the temple feeding Jerusalem and then going to uh, the Dead Sea on the one direction and to the Mediterranean on the other. That's all described. And so the division of the land, take that whole thing and we have going to the north Judah, Reuben, Ephraim, Manasseh, Naphtali, Asher, and Dan. And going to the south, Again, we have the 12 tribes inherit the land surrounding this, far greater than the present bounds of, of uh, Israel as we see it today. And uh, it's my personal speculation that this may have a lot to do with Genesis, before Genesis 3. If the Garden of Eden was east of Eden, a garden was east of Eden, right? And we know that the, 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 the cradle of civilization was the Fertile Crescent. And that was east of Eden itself. The Garden of Eden was east of Eden. And Eden itself is where Israel is today. So there may be a prehistory here that will give all this a relevance that we can only guess at today. Okay. Well, you and I are looking for the Harpazo, right? The rapture of the church. Most of us have studied prophecy know what happens on the earth. After the Harpazo comes the emergence of the world leader, maybe two of them. Then the Great Tribulation, this period of time of trouble such that the world had never seen to that time. That will be, of course, interrupted, or it climaxes in the Battle of Armageddon, which is interrupted then, of course, by the Second Coming. Well, that's all on the earth. Most of us make our little diagrams. You've seen mine in the past. What's going on in heaven at this time? What happens in heaven right after the rapture? Not you married supper? No, not yet. There's something. The next thing that happens is the judgment seat of Christ, the bema seat. Yes, and then we have the marriage of the lamb, not necessarily the wedding supper. There seems to be some hints in the text that the wedding supper is on the earth when the kingdom is set up, is set up on the earth. The marriage has already taken place by then. It's celebrated in the supper, apparently. Then, of course, the second coming of Christ, and then the Davidic kingdom is established. Let's diagram this another way. If we look at time. We, we are in that interval of Daniel 9.25. Well, actually, yeah, 9.26, I should say. 
the interval, uh, yeah, 926. I've got to correct this diagram here. Um, that then we encounter the 70th week, which is the uh, seven-year period. The harpazo takes place sometime prior to that 70th week. Why? Because the 70 weeks defined by a treaty that the Antichrist uh, enforces, a covenant that he enforces, and he rises to power after the harpazo, according to 2 Thessalonians 2. By some distance, is it a day? Is it 30 years? Who knows? But the main point I want to focus on here, not what's going on on the earth here. We have the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat as it's called, and the marriage of the Lamb. On the earth, meanwhile, of course, we got this seven-year enforcement by the world leader. We have it being violated in the middle of that seven years, the abomination of desolation. And the two halves of that week are the most documented periods of time in both the Old and New Testament. Three and a half years, 42 months, 1260 days in each case. But okay, after the marriage supper of the Lamb, oh, and of course, the great tribulation is not seven years, it's three and a half. It, Jesus himself labels it the last half of that seven-year period. But that climax is in Armageddon, which then is interrupted by the second coming. So prior to that second coming, we have two events apparently taking place already in heaven. Bema seed of, the Bema seed of Christ, marriage of the Lamb. That, when he, sets, he comes back, he sets up his kingdom for how long? For a thousand years. In fact, the first thing that happens as, when he's back on the earth is the sheep and goat judgment. The more you study it, the stranger it is. It's mortals being condemned to hell on a basis of works. Strange. You want to understand what that's really all about? I won't take the time here to get into that here. Then is the marriage supper celebrating the, the, the marriage. There, is, there are two periods, 1290 days and 1335. There's a total of 75 days, uh, 30 and 45, that are a mystery. Many people speculate. No one's sure. Near we can find out. But it's clear that there's some very important timings issuing there. After he gets back, but before some of these other things get started. And at the end of the thousand years, we have the great white throne. That's the final big one, if you will. That's after a thousand years. And it's at, after the great white throne that we have a new heavens as well as a new earth. A new heavens as well as a new earth. Satan has had access to heaven. Heaven's due for a refurbishing. And that's also when we have the New Jerusalem, the strange structure that apparently comes down and hovers over the earth, that may represent the commingling then of the wife of Yorevave and the bride of Christ. Okay. Now, the judgments. The Bema seat, we've mentioned that one. If the authorizing verse is in 2 Corinthians 5.10. That's where rewards are administered. Crowns and assignments and, and what have you. That's where the kingdom parables focus on, the talents, the virgins, the uninvited guests, and so forth. That's also the call of the bride to the marriage of the Lamb, the bride of Messiah, in contrast to the adulterous wife of Yorhevave, which of course is an allusion to Israel. The sheep and goat judgment, that's the first thing that happens after he gets back, and that's on the earth. There's three parties involved, the sheep and the goats and my brethren. We need to understand what that's really all about, another study. But mortals are judged on the basis of works. Very strange. You want to study that carefully. Great white throne, which I assume none of us are going to be involved in. Right? And that's at the end of the millennium. And that's, we have the new heavens, new earth, and so on. The Bema seat. That's the one that we need to focus on. That's what the epistle of Hebrews is really uh, dwelling on. The Bema seat. Now, this is not... A, the, you get people teaching that the Bema seat is where the athletes got their rewards 
It's not a place of judgment. That's not true. It is true that that's what's going to be the role here. But the Bema seat, the word in Greek, that's what Pilate sat on when he judged Christ in Matthew 27, 19. That's what Herod was sitting on when he was smitten by worms in Acts 12. That's what Gallio, when he was sentencing Paul in Acts 18. And Festus, that's where he had his trial sentencing. The judgment seat, the Bema seat is a judgment seat. And this is the judgment seat of Christ. Now indeed, everyone in, before this seat, according to 2 Corinthians 5.10, we're all saved. We're there to receive the rewards for our faithfulness. None of us are there because of our faithfulness. We're there because we've trusted Christ. We're there because of His faithfulness. Yet, He's, out to, he's there to hand out rewards. Let's talk about that in 1 Corinthians 3. Let's not speculate. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay stubble, there's two groups. Those that are not flammable, gold, silver, precious stones, and those that are flammable, wood, hay, stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. It's not testing the man, it's testing his work. He's saved. And it'll make that clear here in a minute. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. Devoutly to be wished, huh? If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. In other words, like a refugee. So if you're, sa if you're there, you're saved by Jesus Christ. What, you're in what you inherit will be a function of your inheritance, your faithfulness. Inheritances can be forfeit. In the Old Testament, inheritances can be forfeit in the New Testament. Important study. You need to take it on. If your work abides, you shall receive a reward. What kinds of reward? We'll talk about a few. But in any case, you're still saved because you're there because of what Christ did, not because of what you did. The Bema Seat. Let's map this a little bit. Let's map faithfulness horizontally. 1 Corinthians 3, 11, 15, we've just read, okay? Now, there are those that have been overtaken and those that are overcomers. To the degree that you've been faithful, you are an overcomer. To the extent that you're saved, but you just haven't got it together, the world, the flesh, or the devil has had the best of you, so to speak. You, have, uh, you, you, you don't have any coupons in your book when you get there, okay? Now, the overcomers, boy, there's seven promises specifically in the book of Revelation, among other things. There's also, the carnal Christians are down over here on the left side. They're Christians, they're carnal Christians, but they're Christians. They're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Have they walked the walk? Apparently very poorly, if at all, right? Now, in between these, you've got five crowns promised. Five crowns. Let's take a look at those. You've got a crown of life. It mentioned two places, James 1 and Revelation 2. For those who have suffered for His sake. How many of you have suffered for Christ's sake? Great, okay, praise God, you've got a few. I think there'll be more of us before the next few years unfold. And that's a privilege. Most of us are going to have opportunities we can't even imagine. But praise God for those. This comfortable world that we've enjoyed for several generations is over for lots of reasons. And that's going to be good for the kingdom. Now, there's a crown of righteousness for those who loved His appearing. How many really love the appearing of Christ? You know, there are Christians that abhor the appearing, they, they, they are not in love with the, the, the coming of the Lord. 
And I, I, I won't start on that one. But anyway, uh, for those who loved his appearing, okay. The crown of glory, First Peter talks about. For those who feed the flock. Are you feeding the flock? You don't have to be publishing books or being on a platform to do that. The most powerful place you can do that is in your home, in small groups. And a crown incorruptible for those who press on steadfastly. Now, by the way, I personally don't think there are five crowns. Oh, there's one more here, isn't there? Five crowns. Crown of rejoicing for those who win souls. I don't, I personally will be surprised if there's only five crowns. These are five that happen to be mentioned. They sort of overlap in my mind. I think there's probably dozens. Or maybe they're, and they're given for different reasons. But there are crowns. There's Stephanos there. These are, not, these are not diadems, they're Stephanos. And uh, they're, rewards, they're rewards for works. And by the way, they're never promised angels. That's interesting. In Revelation, it summarizes it near the end. Behold, I come quickly, Jesus says. Hold that fast which thou hast, let that no man take thy crown. Let no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh, Will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out, he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. And, he's, and of course, that's one of the seven letters, seven churches, and I suspect that's uh, the letter to Sardis, I think, isn't it, huh? Let no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall no more go out. I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him. Wow. Do I really know what each one of those things mean? No. But it sure sounds good, doesn't it? No, you have a pretty good idea what he's talking about. Overcomers. Seven. The eat of the tree of life. Not heard of the second death. Hidden manna, a white stone, new name given, power over the nations, white raiment assured, pillar, new name, yeah, it was Revelation 3.12. Sit with Christ on his throne. They shall inherit all things. That is in Revelation 21. That's the overcomer. Are you an overcomer? Have you been faithful? Behavior matters. There are 12 judgments. Okay, gee, if that's what's happening, what do we need to do? Well, how are we going to be judged? By how we treat other believers. That's all through the scripture. How do you treat other believers? How do we exercise our authority over others in general? How we employ our God-given abilities. How we use our money. Yes, that's there too, all through the scripture. How we spend our time. That's probably even more important than our money. What are your priorities? Where do you spend your time? How much we suffer for Jesus. That's a privilege. And it's well rewarded. How we run that particular race which God has chosen for us. Every one of us is in a slightly different race. You get your challenge to discover what race you're in and run it faithfully. How effectively we control the old nature. Boy, that's a challenge. How many souls we witness to and win to Christ. I don't like the idea of winning to Christ. The Holy Spirit does that. But you understand what it's saying. Yeah. How we react to temptation. Boy. How much the doctrine of the rapture means to us. The doctrine of the rapture is one of the yardsticks that's going to emerge at the Bema seat. 
2 Timothy 4, verses 8 and 9. Check it out. How faithful we are to the Word of God and to the flock of God. And that's all through the Scripture. You can get these from the notes. The Bema Seat. We have overtaken people, overcomers. We have carnal Christians on the left. We have five crowns, among other things, awarded. There's one thing left to talk about, or at least suggest, that's the bride. Is the bride of Christ and the body of Christ synonymous? Some people, many good scholars, take that for granted. There are some scholars that think there's a distinction here, that the bride is the faithful subset. They're the ones that wear their own raiment at the festivities. Raiment being the, the, the badge of their faithfulness, not the imputed faithfulness of Christ, which all of us would have to have to be anywhere. And the bride is, is uh, thus, uh, it, it, it's a, they argue that a bride is always taken out of, the, out of his body. The most, it's just the most intimate subset of the body. That's certainly true of Eve taken out of Adam. When Eliezer is assigned by Abraham to get a bride for Isaac, he insists that they go, she's called out from their own people. And it's interesting that he takes with him ten camels. I think that may be a linkage to the ten virgins, by the way. But anyway, she's always seen arrayed in her own raiment. That could be very significant. So that's a possibility. I, I throw it out for you to do your own study. But I want to throw some caveats and we'll wrap it up here. Apply the Berean doctrine, Acts 17.11. Search the scriptures, receive the word with all openness of mind. Step one. Step two, check it out for yourself. Come to your own conclusions from your own study. Remember, you're not under the law. The Messiah is the fulfillment of the Torah. As Matthew 5.17 declares, and also the entire epistle of Hebrews is hammers away all through it from end to end. At the same time, I'm going to suggest you avoid a works trip. Don't make a list of the things you're going to do for Christ. Be led by the Spirit. The stuff that you do, no matter how noteworthy it might be, if it's of the flesh, it doesn't count. You need to walk by the Spirit, not the flesh. That's what the epistle of the Galatians is all about. And if you want a place to go after Hebrews, assuming you've been through Romans, your next step is to go through Galatians. Then you'll have the Trinity Paul wrote. The just shall live by faith. Who are the just? The book of Romans. How shall they live? The book of Galatians. By faith, the book of Hebrews. The three are a trilogy written by Paul and structured as accordingly. Remember that you, are, you do not need to sin. Sin should not be reigning in your life anymore. That's what the Holy Spirit is a resource you can call upon. Romans 6 hammers that for you. If you're going to walk with the Lord. You don't fall behind. You don't get ahead of Him. The challenge is to take it step by step. He doesn't necessarily give you a flash of vision of where you're going to be 10 years from now. He will illuminate your step one step at a time. That's his style. That's part of the faith is taking that step one step at a time. Don't, and Hebrews 4 dealt with that. Okay, in our final, and I should say our next session will be Hebrews 13. When you read Hebrews 13, the question you want to be thinking about, beside reviewing your notes about the whole package, is does it have a happy ending? And I have a surprise for you when we get there. The session after that will be our last session. I'm going to append to this whole series a review uh, that will have some surprises for you that affect all of these things from out, out of primarily Luke 21. So with that, let's stand for a closing word of prayer. Let's bow our hearts for a word of prayer. Father, we're overwhelmed as we begin to contemplate the inheritance you have been preparing for each of us. As we look at this world and its strange ways, and as we see it spiraling everward, ever downward, 
as we see the challenges on the horizon, we take comfort that you are in control. And we do pray, Father, that you would guide each of us to be more effective stewards of the opportunities that will be presenting themselves day by day in front of us. And Father, we also are virtually overwhelmed as we begin to appreciate the riches in glory that we have in Jesus Christ. The inheritance that's been reserved for us if we won't demean it, if we don't falter. Father, we would just pray that through your Holy Spirit and through your Word, we each would come to apprehend what it is you would have of each of us in the days that remain. We thank you, Father, for the opportunities, the privileges, and the rewards that await us if we would be but faithful. And yet, Father, we also realize that that faithfulness can only come by the leading, moment by moment, of your Holy Spirit, that we each might come to apprehend what it is you are calling each of us individually to do. We just thank you, Father, in advance for what you're doing. We do know, Father, that what you begin, you complete. And we thank you, Father, for having begun a good work in us. We pray, Father, that we too might prove faithful, not by power nor by might, but by your Spirit, Father, that we so covet. We just thank you, Father, for who you are. We thank you that it's pleased you to have us be right here, right now, in your presence. Or we commit ourselves into your hands without any reservation. In the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Hebrews. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.